I mean, like, what, what are you going to do? If you don't have a quote that's approved, if you don't have a logo, how are you going to do a campaign? How are you going to do a wonderful billboard somewhere if you don't have a customer that's like, yeah, use, use my name. I don't mind. How are you going to do a wonderful user conference without customer speakers willing to highlight why they chose your product and why they found success? You can't do it. Welcome to NPS I Love You, a podcast powered by Catalyst. I'm your host, Ben Wynn, and this show is all about awesome people, ideas, and stories, all with a customer success twist. On NPS I Love You, I talk to everyone from artists to scientists, CEOs to CSMs, and everyone in between to give you powerful insights that will help you in your career and in life. Kalina Marie is an incredibly accomplished customer advocacy executive, podcaster, writer, and speaker in Silicon Valley, where she's now head of customer advocacy at Asana. Her methodology is straightforward. Put your customers first and success will follow, something I think all of us in customer success would greatly agree with. She also hosts the Unapologetech podcast, which is an inspiring show featuring women of color in tech, and she was ranked as one of the top 50 fearless marketers in the world by Adobe. Today, Kalina and I discussed customer advocacy, challenges getting executive buy-in, and the lessons and philosophies that have brought her success. I just click record, and then I eventually just sort of go into the first question. (laughs) Well, I'm just thinking because I have like this little spill, and then I say, without further ado, welcome, boom. And then that person's like, thank you so much for having me. I'm so delighted. See, you're more put together than I am. (laughs) Well, I'll I'll follow your lead, whatever you want. Okay. Well, the first question I wanted to ask you um, was just about the holidays coming up because I can't wait to have some time off. I agree. Um, I'm actually really looking forward to the holidays. I'm actually taking a gamble and I'm going to New Orleans to see all of my family, especially my grandpa. He's getting a little bit older. So I have been following all of the rules, making sure that I'm safe before getting on the plane. But I'm so ready. You know, it's it's been an interesting year, a lonely year, too. You know, when you really think about it, it's like me, my laptop, my dog, and I'm ready to be around some people. Absolutely. I was in New Orleans last year and I was only here for 48 hours. But I think like I made an Instagram back when I had Instagram, the highlight Mm -hmm. reel or whatever, because I just hit up every single touristy thing you could possibly do in a 48-hour period and absolutely loved it there. Definitely. I hope you made it to Cafe Dumont. Oh, absolutely. And I left looking just covered in powdered sugar. Okay, you did it right then. Okay, good. (laughs) Glad glad to know. (laughs) So I think this episode will come out just before this comes out, but we're releasing this month a the first ever report on mental health in customer success, which I'm super excited about. And one of the data points is that we realized that people have taken a full week less PTO this year than they did last year. What's been your kind of vacation like over the last... 12 months or so. Oh, that's funny. What, what vacation? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a vacation now is going from your desk to your couch. And that's, uh, that counts. It's true. So let's see what well, I started at Asana back in August and I was also launching my podcast on apologetic. And so before leaving my previous company, I wanted to just take a, a week off to actually get things prepared for the podcast. So that was including like a photo shoot in San Diego and then uploading all the content, doing the edits, et cetera, and finishing up the website. So I took one week off, but I still worked. It's just, I didn't work for a company. I guess I technically work for my own company. So my passion project. So within this year, I, I took one week off and that was because I was transitioning to a whole new role in a whole new company. <laughs> so that was really relaxing for you. <laughs> yeah. So it's actually quite embarrassing. You know, I, I hadn't thought about that because, you know, first off, working in tech, 
we have this unlimited PTO always yes. stated. And to be quite honest with you, it's bullshit, you know, yeah. because you, when you have something like that, you're never actually taking time off. And when you do mm-hmm. take time off, I know personally for me, I bring my laptop everywhere I go. I have Slack on my phone. You know, I have my email on my phone. So it's really hard to unplug. And I think that that's one thing we we have to get better at as a culture, especially in America. I think we're just always on. So I'm actually, you know, a little embarrassed to say that I only took one week off. But I would say that the year was really phenomenal when it comes to work for me and my my personal goals. But I would say that, you know, it took a toll of I don't really sleep. You know, I'm always thinking about ideas. And when I do actually sleep, I wake up early saying, oh, I have an idea. Let me let me just write that down. So before you know it, you know, it's just there's no such thing as off time right now. I mean, you seem remarkably calm and sane for uh, maybe you're just putting it on for the for the recording. But (laughs) considering you took no vacation this year, you know, I also am in a customer facing role. So and I run a lot of different events for executives. And I guarantee you behind the scenes when doing those type of events, something's always going wrong. But, you know, you have to put that smile on. True. The bigger my smile sometimes, there's a lot of things going on in the back end. (laughs) (laughs) We'll keep an eye out for that. (laughs) Just just like full context. Sometimes the bigger my smile when I'm in work, I'm dealing with a lot of red flags behind the scenes. And I'm trying to make sure everything is in order. So it's a process and a skill set, I guess, to develop. It's a great skill to have. I used to do a lot of theater and I went to theater school and stuff like that. And, you know, you, you can't stop a show if the shows, you know, you have to kind of, everything is on purpose, even if something terrible is going on, it just has to be part of what you're doing. And that's really come in handy when, you know, hosting an event or doing something where things are definitely going wrong. And it just has to be, you know, it was always part of the plan to have the projector shut down mid presentation. It's true. I mean, I have so many stories. Maybe we do that for a take two episode. Yeah, exactly. Say, you know, when, when things go wrong, how do you still manage? Exactly. Well, how are you managing kind of your you know, mental health and sustainability and just kind of you know, being at home and, and not being on vacation? How are you kind of trying to strike that balance right now? I would say three things. So, so I'm a Virgo and I'm an only child. So everything is very detail oriented for me. I've accepted that. I write down my whole list. I create projects, even if it's just a personal project. So right now I'm remodeling my kitchen. Okay. Why did I decide to remodel my kitchen? I got <laughs> bored and did not like the cabinet anymore. So I have that going on. And then um, I skate a lot, I roller skate with my dog. And that's my outlet. I'm that person secretly that like, you know, at 1130 at night, I put my little moxie, you know, uh, cheetah skates on, put my headphones and just like, I just skate until I don't stress anymore until like the adrenaline is just, you know, running and I feel better. And the second or the third thing for me, I ordered a Peloton. I'm going on two and a half months. (laughs) It's still not here. But when that arrives, I'm looking forward to racing with my friends on the bike and just getting back into shape. I mean, given COVID times, you know, I've been stuffing my face, you know, when I'm stressed out on the weekends, I have my glass of wine. So it's time to tighten things back up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're we're all there for sure. I wonder if... Uh... If I decide that maybe I can start like a Peloton racing group just for customer success people and then I can catalyst to buy me one, which would be fantastic. That's honestly, that's a good, good little thing. I would, that's a nice proposal. All right. I'll, I'm going to work on that. I'll let you know. 
You so you also you mentioned earlier you took your luxurious one week vacation to take some time off between your previous job and then you recently you started at Asana, uh, which was about five months ago now. So how has that been kind of just doing that whole remote start? So it's my first time ever onboarding at a new company remote. And also just to take a step back, my interview process too was remote. So I've actually have never stepped foot in the Asana corporate office, but it's pros to that as well, because, you know, you have to take time to chat with these individuals and really fill them out from a culture perspective. And I think that my interview process was really intense. Well, I guess interesting because I was, you know, interviewing them, they were interviewing me. I didn't have a chance to, you know, have a typical coffee with the person or just see their body language in person. So that was interesting. But I think that ultimately I was able to think outside of the box and really get a feel of culture, people, and the organization as a whole as to do you really want to do this clean and what value can I bring, but also what value do I get from Asana? So I think that that was a really nice turnout of, of interviewing, but also um, I was able to look at how invested Asana was in this role and in me because they took so much time to just answer my questions and get people to chat with me that personally I wouldn't actually be working with. A big one for me was actually talking to our head of diversity and inclusion at Asana. And, you know, that's a total different world from customer advocacy. And I spent like an hour on the phone with her and she was just talking to me about why she loved her job, why she chose Asana, you know, what I could be expecting if I joined. And to be honest, that was one of the realest things that, you know, made me say yes to them. And then going forward, like actually starting the role, it's been an interesting challenge for me because with customer advocacy and customer marketing world, you're looking at how to, you know, create these memorable experiences for your customers, especially your executive customers. And a lot of that has to do with customer dinners, uh, surprise and delight meetups, customer advisory boards, all of that. Our methodology is have that in person. Right. And so that was actually a big concern of mine before I started. I said, you know, we're in the times of COVID. I don't know when this is going to be over. Are you guys okay with that? And for them, it was more so of the long-term strategy, not just, hey, clean it, come build something in six months, but build something that's going to last for years at a time and continuously generate raving fans that are from our um, C-suite customer layout. And that was actually really helpful. And I think that I've been spending a lot of time chatting with some very smart people um, at Asana. I've been doing a lot of different PowerPoints, looking at what we can accomplish in the next six months, but also what does a year look like and what does times of COVID look like and what does it look like after COVID? So I think that that's been a good experience. And I would say being able to be adaptable has been an um, interesting experience for me because you know, mentally, I don't know when I can go back into the office. Mentally, I do not know when I can get my customers in a room together. Um, And that sometimes can be quite stressful. And it's a combination of me sometimes having imposter syndrome and also being an overachiever. I don't know what good really looks like right now, because usually in customer advocacy, you have a deadline as to, hey, my cab launches this day, or my customer dinner launches this day. And you can actually put a checkpoint and say, yep, did that. Now I'm going to do this. But technically right now you can do things virtually. You have to, you know, think about everybody's doing things virtually. So what separates you from 
like a bazillion other companies that are doing these roundtables and virtual uh, meetups. And so that, that's been a, a bit hard, but I would say that I've really leaned on my team. I've leaned on some of my senior leaders that really reassure me that I'm going in the right direction. And I would say that Asana, we're full transparency. So when I'm uncertain or when I'm stressed out, I've actually had moments where they just they just chat with me and we kind of mind map, okay, here's where we are. Let's go this way. Here's the goals. And it actually helps me. It calms me down and it just allows me to know that I made the right choice, number one. And then two, when COVID is over, and I always think about like two to three years from now, I mean, when I build the customer advocacy programs at Asana, it's going to be, I might write a book, to be honest with you. Yeah, because, it's going to be that be, cool. It's going to be pretty dope. I'm not going to lie. Like in the times of COVID, generating customer advocates from scratch that were all executives. I mean, it's going to be pretty nice to look at. I mean, I personally might just read it <laughs> exactly. and say, who's that? <laughs> it's crazy it's such a weird no one's done this before and i feel like my i've been doing some similar things with my approach at catalyst and kind of those similar points building community remotely when originally i was hired right at the start of the pandemic to do it in person run events every week every month like all in person all in new york and then all that went out the window and i'm just hankering to be in person again and can't wait to be surrounded by humans again and actually, you know, have some of those legit events and things that are so fun and so special. Like you said before, it's so valuable to be able to have a team that you can be honest with and say, you know, I'm really having, I'm having a problem, you know, figuring out a solution to this, or I just need someone to ideate with or to, to bounce some ideas off of and just kind of no judgment. Let's get together. Let's throw some ideas out, mind map, brainstorm and, and see what we come up with to solve it. Such a valuable thing to, to have a culture like that. I second that. And I think in the times that we're living in right now, you definitely need that, especially mentally. You don't know what people are going through at home and you don't know mentally how that's affecting others. So I think that having that type of culture, to your point, it's needed because we we don't actually have a deadline for, for COVID. And, you know, even we used to have these pretend deadlines that say, hey, you're going to be back in the office in April. You're going to be back in the office in June. Yeah. You're going to be back in the office in December. Now, most companies are just TBD. Yeah, pretty much, which, you know, is disappointing. But also, I mean, it's it will happen eventually. There's a spirit. <laughs> Uh, so to talk, a, uh, dive a little bit more into your role, curious how you see, so obviously from a customer success perspective, it's all about putting the customer first, prioritizing their outcomes and all that good stuff from a community perspective and putting community first and thinking about the community's challenges and how we can best support them. You know, you're kind of living at this intersection between nurturing these customers, building strong relationships with them and also marketing, like ultimately leveraging those customers in some way to grow Asana's business. So I'm curious kind of how you think about that intersection and striking that right balance. Yeah, I've been actually mapping this out for the last two months uh, because it's interesting. You know, you have customer marketing and then you have customer advocacy. Customer advocacy is a bit more strategic, I would say, and a sense of tying into revenue and the actual accounts. And I would say definitely for customer marketing, you know, you're bringing those logos, you're bringing those stories um, in relations to speaking opportunities, content generation, case studies, you name it. But with customer advocacy, it's a different one. I would say that it's really crucial for customer success, for sales, and for marketing, for advocacy to be successful. Because advocacy is looking at the long-term goal of you may not have 
an advocate, you know, and you may start to look at, okay, I've achieved this goal with my company, but now I need to focus on enterprise accounts. You know, your, your original quota might've been, Hey, you know, $50,000, but now all of a sudden your quota is you need to close a million dollars of book of business. How on earth do you do that with maybe like six strategic accounts? It's definitely possible, but you have to be extremely strategic and rely on relationships and also having a great product. And you have to actually start to work with advocacy to figure out how to build those relationships to get those three to four year contracts that are multi-million dollar contracts. And that's where I personally come in. And I think that when I'm scoping things out, I'm looking at what's our top 25, our top 50 accounts that we need to hone in on. Um, And number one, develop executive relationships all the way from the C-level to the VP to even the director, because they're working together. You know, if we can all get them excited about our product, then we can ultimately have a wonderful executive briefing meeting. If we get the C-level executive involved and happy, then that's potentially someone that's going to give you effective input on your industry and a customer advisory board. And then also when you're thinking about let's just say roundtables, roundtables aren't good unless you have the right people in that roundtable. So thinking about your peers, but the thing is, how do you actually get those peers to want to be engaged with you? And take another step, if you're doing a roundtable and all your competitors are doing roundtables and they all get the same invitation, why would that executive come to your roundtable versus you know the five other competitors that are telling you why you need to come to their roundtable? And I would say I've just taken a step back. And number one, I look at what's the OKRs of our entire company? What do we want to accomplish for this year? And then looking at that, what are the accounts that we need to actually do better with? How do we utilize these individuals? And then from there, I look at the strengths of sales, the strength of CS, and the strength of marketing. I think that it's a wonderful combination when we all work together because we all have certain expertise. You know, if we think about customer success, the amount of support and utilization that the customer success manager can give, you know, technically another individual, maybe from sales or marketing, don't they don't have that methodology down pat like the CS member does. But then from a marketing perspective, the marketing person that can actually turn a beautiful story into something that just turns into this like successful campaign, you know, the CS person and the salesperson can't do that. And then from a sales perspective, it's hard to live with a quota every month on your back, but the sales team, they can actually do that and they do it with grace. You never know when they're stressed. So I think that having that combination of, of those individuals in a room working with advocacy is extremely important. And on an advocacy perspective, I'm looking at how to design programs that can utilize all of the different things that the sales, CS, and marketing team want to accomplish. And if we have our wish list of, you know, sometimes you might start off with only five executive advocates or maybe 10 or maybe 20 or maybe zero, but that's okay. Having the right methodology to increase that is important for advocacy to really push and also write the enablement for people to understand. But I think the long-term goal is where do you want to go? And actually putting those milestones into place and really teaching all the different organizations, here's where we're going. We have to start this way. And then from there, you know, success looks like this. And here's why you're so important. I think that with advocacy, the most important role, at least for, for me right now, is making sure that people understand their place and why they're so valuable to be in that place. And ultimately, teaching them how to always put the customer first. And I think that when people understand that methodology, you're always going to be successful because your customer actually starts to see you as a partner and not as just, you know, another tech company or just another product that, 
hey, you're selling to me. It's an interesting mm-hmm. landscape, but I think that when it's done right and when it's done thoughtfully and you have buy-in from the right people, sky's the limit. I love that. You said so many things that warm my heart there, especially the stuff around collaboration between teams, recognizing the individual talents that each team has, putting the customer first. I mean, those are really important things that I think of as kind of low-hanging fruit, but that a lot of companies just don't understand or don't leverage properly. So I think there's a big opportunity if you can strike that balance. So you've got me very excited to see what what uh, what you turn out over the next couple of years. Cool. So to dig a little deeper into how you think about this, um, because I, I love to find some some controversy wherever I can. Um, what is <laughs> I was waiting. Yeah, for that. <laughs> of course. I mean, I, I tell, you know, I want my podcast to either be controversial or emotional or both. What is an unpopular opinion you hold about marketing or tech in general? Because you've amazing experience, different companies, different roles. So curious what you would say an unpopular opinion you have is. So here's the thing. So with customer advocacy and customer marketing, you know, you have to ask yourself, number one, where does this role actually sit? Especially customer advocacy, because technically the role can sit in marketing, it can sit in customer success, it can sit, you know, you can report directly to the CEO. You need to be with someone that is going to help you move the needle. You know, personally for me, I can have all the brightest ideas, but if I don't have executive buy-in, nobody's going to give a shit, to be honest with you. So that that comes to mind. But let's just say, like right now, I sit into the customer success and revenue org, but at the same time, I'm really close to the data and I'm close to understanding where do we need to go with our accounts to hit our numbers and ultimately go up market, which is extremely important. But in my past life, I have been in marketing And it's really nice to be in marketing and being creative. But I would say the one stressor that I've seen is customer marketing does so much. Customer advocacy does so so much. You'll have case studies being pushed out and then people just want more. Mm -hmm. You do one phenomenal case study and then the sales department says, well, I need three more. And it's like, well, what the hell? Did you even read the first (laughs) one? Yeah, exactly. And then then you have, um, let's say, demand gen wanting your third party reviews to be number one. And that's all important. And then you have product marketing wanting TEI reports and Forrester Wave, you name it. All that takes time and all that takes actual customer advocates willing to give you time. And I would say that, you know, customer marketing advocacy, we continuously produce it. But the problem is what is actually important to the actual marketing org, even though we're pushing out all this content. For some reason, I've always seen that the demand gen department seems the most valuable, which I don't think is true. I think that the heart of marketing is actually leveraging customer marketing because without the customer voice, you have no marketing. I mean, like, what what are you going to do? If you don't have a quote that's approved, if you don't have a logo, how are you going to do a campaign? How are you going to do a wonderful billboard somewhere if you don't have a customer that's like, yeah, use use my name. I don't mind. How are you going to do a wonderful user conference without customer speakers willing to highlight why they chose your product and why they found success? You can't do it. But I would say that in most cases, marketing looks at, hey, we need demand gen. We need to fill the funnel and we need to generate pipeline, which is all true. But you have to understand in order to do those things, you're relying on the third party reviews. You're relying on the quotes. You're relying on the case studies. Right. You're relying on customer advisory boards to have people give you product feedback, you name it. And I would say that that's my pet peeve because 
you know, sometimes you see all of these glorifications of wonderful campaigns, but then you look and you realize, well, I got that logo approved and I actually talked to that person to get that quote. Or you'll see a TDI report go live and you're like, you do realize that was six months of work and that was five customers that I've been working with for the last year to get them ready to do that report. But when it's all published, you know, sometimes customer marketing or customer advocacy, they don't get their glory. And I think that that hurts that department a little bit because a lot of the times you'll see only one or two people in customer advocacy or customer marketing, but we're pushing out so much collateral and that, that shouldn't be a one or two person show that should be a global team. But then you'll see several people being hired in demand gen or product marketing to basically leverage the same content that customer marketing has to get for you. And that, that is a big stressor for me because I just don't understand it because if, if I leave and I'm the only person that's running the whole customer marketing or advocacy show, how are you going to do your job yeah. if, if I take all of my connections with me, True. all of those customer relationships, if I take them with me and I don't actually set another person up for success, how are you guys going to be able to continuously generate all of that content that you leverage the customer voice on? Definitely. It's so, so, so important to have a culture of celebration and acknowledgement and you know, shout outs regularly and, you know, everything's ultimately a team effort, right? Because I completely agree with you on the customer marketing side. And I think even it's almost like a, a cycle, right? It's, you know, you need an incredible product in order to, for that to be a good quote in the first place. You need a great relationship in order to get that quote. And then you need a great product marketer in order to take that and turn it into a beautiful story. And there's so many pieces along that chain that, and I think it's important to reinforce that wheel as well. I keep a chain and a wheel and, you know, uh, <laughs> making up. But I think it, it's so important to have that and to, like you said, have support, right? Because if you have one piece missing in that uh, other inanimate object, uh, <laughs> then the whole thing falls apart. And I think too often you're right that yeah. too much emphasis or budget or growth can be put onto one department or another, depending on who's controlling where that goes. And it can make things lopsided. And that can definitely have long-term impacts that are not ideal for the company. That's spot on. And I mean, I think you hit it. You know, you everybody is important. You just have to know how to work together. You know, it's, it's a process. Even within marketing, everyone has their place. But then also within the entire organization, sales, CS, marketing, we all have a heartbeat. But I think that respect has to be given for everyone's hard work in order to keep the machine going. Definitely. Excellent. So we're talking about executive buy-in, right, in terms of where funds are allocated. And I was wanting to ask you this question ever since our webinar, when you mentioned that you've done customer advisory board events that might be 20, 30K, you know, super luxe experience. Maybe you're flying CEOs to Vegas for some crazy rooftop party with some elephants. You know, I would love to work on, I'd love to attend, but, you know, I'm hoping that I'll be able to do some cool things like that in the future. Have you ever had trouble getting executive buy-in to get budgets approved and allocated for your efforts? Oh, definitely. Let's just say, so the customer advisory board where I did the budget of 20K, that was at my previous company. And they actually truly understood the value of customer marketing and customer advocacy, which is why I was able to get that budget. I'll just throw like a prime example. One of our biggest events was in New York at the Monarch um, and it was a rooftop bar. And, you know, New York, you have to think about it. Like if you do anything in San Francisco or L.A., if that if that's like 20K, you might as well just double, double that yeah. in New York and also put up with the additional attitude just because it's yeah. New York. <laughs> but at the same time, like I was able to get a 40K budget. 
But at the same time, we were bringing in a mixture of executive customers that were happy with us, that we had potential to expand with. But we were also bringing in late stage prospects that they didn't really know our product or, you know, they didn't know the true value and they didn't know if they wanted to invest in us. But what they had the opportunity to do was talk to customers that loved us. And it was easier to start to get budget because we were starting to see results every time AEs were able to send their late stage prospects to these events. Right. So let's just say, you know, you do one of these events in November, by January, if that customer or potential customer showed up that prospect, you know, that deal closed by January and it was tied into that event. So that was helpful. But I would say I've been at previous companies before where, you know, I've had some people, they didn't really know what a customer advisory board was. And, you know, asking for 10K was bizarre. You know, one of my customer advisory boards, I kid you not, I had such a crappy budget that I did it at a WeWork space. And I did it at a WeWork space because, you know, it was also in New York. And one of the AEs who actually got fired two weeks before my cab put the holding for me for that WeWork, he left. He didn't even tell me that I didn't have the space. Oh, no. So I went from thinking that I had a beautiful, like, room that showed this beautiful view at the WeWork office to actually having nothing to downsizing within one week and paying a little bit more out of pocket. And I remember ordering like these fancy, I call them fancy, but they were just sandwiches, honestly, because that's all I had. And I remember, you know, you always want to have like a centerpiece for, for the cab members when they're sitting down in this long room, you know, critiquing your product for like two hours. <laughs> I had to like struggle to get budget just to buy some lilies to sit on the table. And, you know, to be honest with you, it was a wonderful customer advisory board. We took them to dinner afterwards, but it was like on a budget of maybe like five, eight thousand dollars. And then the sad part is I had to like make the customers pay for their own travel. Right. And I mean, I'm, I'm a lot sharper now and I have a lot more budget, I would say. But I had no like I personally don't understand how I got customers to pay for their own budget to spend a whole day with me. It says something, though, <laughs> like it says something about your your ability to, to convince people or entertain people. Yeah. But I mean, honestly, I was embarrassed. And like, you know, when we came back, when I came back from the event, um, I would say that was like, I think it was like a Thursday because I took like a day off to actually explore New York the next day, that weekend. And then I remember coming back into San Francisco and we had this big old all hands and like the CEO at the time, he was just raving about it, you know. And to be honest with you, before I started, he didn't know what a customer advisory board was. And, you know, my VP at that time of marketing, she didn't even believe in the cab. And then all of a sudden that was a spotlight. Then all of a sudden customer marketing right. became so big because they got true feedback from customers that were spending a lot of money on them. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, those cab members became references for new business. But I would say like that buy-in, it was, it was rough, you know, like $5,000, $6,000 and you're looking at food, you're looking at surprise and delight and it's in New York. Yeah. It's just it's a lot. $5,000. It buys like, you, uh, yeah, I was going to say, it's like your cabs <laughs> into the city. And... Yeah. So it adds up. But I would say that being said, that's how you know how to be creative too. You know, you work with what you got. I would say that that experience made me strong and it made me smart creative. And now that I have the budget and the buy-in and the trust of other executives, I know I could do something beautiful now. Because when I was doing certain customer advisory boards with that small budget, 
people, you know, still got results. I was getting, yeah, I was still getting messages from customers saying, this is so amazing. And in my head, I'm, I, I ranked myself. So I was like, oh, this is okay. <laughs> like, but, but, and you know, I'm getting text messages from them saying, oh, whatever you need, you know, like I definitely want to be a part of this and I engage with you guys more. And so in my head, I was like, okay, if I, it's all about how you make people feel mm-hmm. regardless of how much budget you have, you know, if you do have the budget, by all means, give it because your customers should be the center of attention if you want to be successful. But if you don't have the budget, would it, you know you might be just a startup. You know you might have just gotten through Series B or whatever it is. But if you are the right person for the role, you can make magic happen. And the more you make magic happen, every quarter you start to see a little bit more you know budget coming your way because they know what you can do. Absolutely. And if you can attach an ROI to it, and I mean it sounds like you've proven this multiple times over. You know that's the best way to unlock budget and be able to do bigger and cooler things all the time. I definitely would say that. I would say that, especially for my last company and at Asana now, they understand the vision. And I think that that's really important when going into customer advocacy or any type of customer facing role. You have to pick a company that understands the value of customer relationships. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask your advice on so many things um, because I feel like you're a few years ahead of what I hope to be doing and, and I'm excited about doing. But in the interest of time, I will ask you what the most valuable piece of advice you've ever read or received is. That is a good one. I'm actually reading this book here called Unapologetically Ambitious by Shelly. She is phenomenal. She is actually like on the board of Verizon, all these really cool different things that she's doing. And in the first few chapters, she talks about so much. One of the chapters, she talks about having cheerleaders and why that's so important. And then she also talks about having a plan and just keep pushing. I'm actually just pulling up. I wrote some notes down for her that I personally look at every day. One, she says, you can always make yourself luckier by setting a goal, creating a plan, developing the right skills. Second, she says, find your cheerleaders. And then third, control what you can. And I think the control what you can is something that has helped me tremendously this year because I was supposed to build so many different programs by now and have at least like two meetups. You know, with my plan, I was supposed to have a customer advisory board by now in place and like this vision of like having all these executives in a room happy, but COVID is just taking it's, it's, it's the leader, you know, it's controlling the world right now. And so by looking at what I can control, I've learned that number one, I've helped my anxiety. I've helped like just being able to come as my whole self every day to my job by understanding what can I actually accomplish today by leveraging my skill set, what can I actually bring to the table to the company every day? And I, I write it down, you know, every morning I look at like where we currently are, where we're trying to go with our advocates and our customers. And even though it's not my utopia of what I would love to do right now, I still look at, but you know, you you woke up today, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're still breathing. My brain is still working. So there's always something that I could do to achieve. I just make sure that now I, become more realistic of what can be accomplished right now. I love that. That's really important. And I think it's a great way to alleviate anxiety is to account for, you know, what is within your control, control what you can is what you said, and then acknowledge what you can't and try to accept, you know, it's, it's hard, especially for, you know, people who are very type A to accept that there are things that, that we can't control. But I think acknowledging that is, is another step towards being able to at least detach a little and deal with kind of the constant adaptation. Yeah. And then I'll just add on to that personally. 
being patient is not, it has never been a strong point of mine. I want things like, I mean, honestly, when I graduated college, I wanted to be the CEO the next day, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and I had to bring myself down to reality um, and notice that it's, you know, it's progress, not perfection. That's a big one for me. But patience this year has been a big challenge for me because I realize I can't control certain things. Like even if we look at my personal life with my kitchen, I, my kitchen was supposed to be done before Thanksgiving. It's December. I can't control certain things. I want to have this beautiful like customer advisory board now. And I want to send customers to a beautiful like rooftop experience, but all of the rooftop bars are closed. Out of your control. Patience and just realizing what you can control is the best advice I can give to anyone in any industry, in any career path too. And, you know, even if you're the analyst or the CMO or the CEO, you have to be patient with certain things and you have to understand what can you control. I think that's why I'm never going to, I don't know if it's never, but I always prefer being an IC, an individual contributor, because I have no patience and I like to just charge through and do things myself, get them 80% done or to like good enough kind of level. And then, you know, hand them off. Maybe they'll get polished or just go straight out. But <laughs> I can't imagine the level of patience that managers need, especially if you're managing a large team to coordinate and everyone works at a different pace and to be then responsible for their output. Like even if you have the best team in the world, I feel like that would be a stress point. So uh, I'm going to live in my little bubble as long as I can <laughs> work in my, but even doing events like that, you know, being patient with some of these large venues, uh, it was so stressful because they, no offense to like the Marriott, but you know, their team does not oh, work at the man. same pace as a tech startup. And it's difficult sometimes. Definitely. And just you, I mean, even thinking about that with events, sometimes if you're going with a certain restaurant or to your point, a certain hotel, you might get lucky with the best, you know, hotel manager or restaurant manager, or you might get the crappiest manager that is just more concerned of like, Hey, you need to give us 20% tip <laughs> gratuity. And it's like, you haven't even did the job. You haven't even did the job. Like I haven't even signed the contract. Yeah. Work with me first. <laughs> exactly. Although I will say the venues that I worked with in new Orleans, when I did an event there last year were fantastic. They were actually two, a couple of my favorites. Well, it's New Orleans. We're known for Southern hospitality. I appreciate it. I'm <laughs> hoping to do, I would love to do more events. Maybe I can do a Catalyst event in New Orleans next year. Knock on wood. Honestly, it's a goal of mine at some point. I would love to do a customer advisory board right at the same time, a Mardi Gras, have the full experience. Whoever's listening to this, if you take my idea, I, I will I'll find you. We covered a lot. To kind of close things off, what is it that you're most looking forward to in 2021? for COVID to be done with. <laughs> Honestly, all the plans that we're making, they're wonderful, but I have like these asterisks on certain programs of mine that's dependent on COVID. And so for 2021, I think that we definitely can build some amazing things. I think it's the best time right now to be in tech because, you know, everybody's remote, you know, we're, we're adapting into a whole new world where you can technically live wherever your heart desires and still get your job done, which I think is phenomenal. But I also would love for us to get somewhat back to normal. I don't think we'll ever be normal personally. And I think what doesn't, you know, kill you makes you stronger. So I definitely think that everybody that's sticking it out, especially people that are running communities, running anything customer facing, any type of executive relationships, this is going to make you so much better for next year. So I'm actually looking forward to the outcome. Like we're in the weeds right now, but I think that 
you know, the, the light is almost there at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And I'm hoping that 2021 just brings out so much more creativity. And I think that people will be a little bit kinder to one another as well, because they just miss being around people. So I think that we have time to shine and I think we'll never regret like being in the office again or just being around our peers and colleagues again. I, I think so too. I'm, I'm very excited for, I mean, I wish it was something where it was all at once. It was like all of a sudden and we could just go into the street and party. It'll probably be a little more gradual, but I definitely think that people are going to be celebrating hard when, you know, when we can, even in small groups, get together again socially. Before we end, I wanted to ask you to talk very briefly about your podcast so that people can go give it a listen. Yes, unapologetic.com. You can find I love the name. Thank you. Um, side story to that, I was actually sketching out ideas with a friend back in May and we were eating sushi and like listening to Rihanna and I didn't actually know what I was going to make. I just knew that I wanted to be more authentic. I wanted to be around people that had authentic voices, especially being an African-American woman in the tech industry. It is quite lonely. Sometimes people do not understand you all the way from your hair to the color of your skin, how you talk, you know, how you're super ambitious and resilient. And it's like, all of that is what makes, you know, African-American women brilliant, I think. And I wanted people to just start hearing that. And not just for African-American women, but just women of color. You know, I think that we do so many different things and we're just passed up a lot of the times. And with the podcast, you get to see that creativity. You get to see that resilience, that grit in all of these different women. So when you have a chance, unapologetic.com. It's definitely entertaining and it's more to come. So check it out. If you think that you have an engaging story and you're a woman of color, hit me up. You could potentially be featured. Amazing. Kalina, thank you so much. This was fantastic. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a review and share this podcast with a friend. If you want to learn more about Catalyst, visit catalyst.io. Until next week, I'm Ben Wynn, and this was NPS I Love You. P.S. I love you.